the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, we're at episode 298. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brett Roberts. Welcome along, Brett. Thanks for uh, joining the podcast again. And thank you for having me again. Uh, it's always good fun. It is always good fun having you here. Maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this world of uh, technology in New Zealand. Where do I fit in? Uh, I'm an associate director at Datacom based here in Auckland. Cool. Well, on that front, actually, uh, it was just in the last uh, last week or two that we heard Datacom have hit a billion dollars in revenue. That's uh, that's pretty good going for. Uh, well, you couldn't call Datacom a little New Zealand business anymore, but no, uh, no it's um, that's that's amazing. It's an interesting business, actually. Yeah, four thousand. I've got the number here: four thousand six hundred and sixty-one employees around the planet. Yep, and a billion dollars in revenue, and um, interestingly, twenty-seven million in profit. So. It's a, you know, the IT services is a lean business, uh, but the company's growing and um, it's a pretty cool company to work for, actually, having a ball. That's great. Yeah. That's really cool. And, you know, I guess I'm always interested in, in hearing how our, our New Zealand organisations are doing on the on the global stage. I mean, Datacom's doing quite a bit internationally, isn't it? This isn't just, you know, business within the walls of New Zealand. This is uh, this is a mix, and it seems to be growing internationally. Yeah, definitely. So they've, um, we're obviously, um, la- you know, very large here in New Zealand. I think 2,000, 2,500 people all up. Um, as I said, 4,600 around the world. The Australian operation is um, well underway and, and is growing rapidly. Um, just can't find the staff, um, standard sort of challenge. Um, we've also got a presence in, off the top of my head, I think it's 32 countries around the world. Some of those are just one-person bands and things like that. Um, we provide telephone support for Dell in some locations. There's all sorts of businesses that the, the company's into. It's quite an interesting, diverse organisation. And, um, yeah, as I said, great, great place to work. Great bunch of people, good attitude, um, good can-do kind of attitude and um, yeah kind of taking on the world it is pretty cool mm, one with mm. all those zeros after it that is neat yeah 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 I think I first come across Datacom probably 23 years ago so uh, probably you would know, have been one with six zeros after there, it back then but, there, yeah. there wasn't that scale at that time <laughs> but uh, yeah boy they've done well yeah yeah oh that's great um, now on to um, another local topic. This is one I picked up from uh, Bill Bennett's uh, blog. I hadn't. Uh, we've talked about it before. Um, Skinny Mobile, uh, which is obviously part of um, part of, of Spark and is a unit that's come out of their uh, their digital ventures team. We've talked about in their past their 4G or, or LTE based home internet offering, and they started that um, some months ago with a early on the year, probably around uh, February time frame, and we're offering home broadband delivered wirelessly over uh, over the Spark mobile network, and you could buy um, 60 gigs worth of data, f- I think it was $55 at the time. Uh, seemed like a good offering, would probably you know fit a lot yep. of people's uh, requirements, particularly those not streaming too much, uh, but uh, recently they bumped that up, and uh, for another $10 you could get 100 gigs worth of uh, data, um, but their their latest change is they've flattened it out, so there's now just one price, uh, fifty two dollars a month, and it gives you a um, hundred gigs worth of uh, worth of wireless broadband to your home. It's seems, not a bad deal. Seems eh? pretty I, good. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I live um, just out of Tauranga, and we won't get fibre probably until the year twenty thirty um, at the rate <laughs> we're going. Um, and this is actually quite interesting. I think we get 10, 12 megabits per second. Um, down DSL at the moment, but I'll go home and I'll, I'll test it on the weekend and see what sort of 4G speeds we get. It might be a, an alternative, and I'm guessing that the, you know, the um, data cap will go up and the price will probably stay the same. Will go down. So, over time, not bad. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess they're, they're taking on the um, you know the ultra fast broadband and um, and and DSL offerings depending on where you are, what you can get, and. You know there are some limitations of being over a mobile network. If they had too many people jump on board yeah. with us, you know, it wouldn't work for them to give you know too much data. But um, yeah, they've obviously worked out this is uh, this is doable for them. And you know, imagine this, there'll be scenarios where people are like, well, hundreds not enough for me. They don't want to pay the overage, which I think is twenty dollars for an extra ten gigs. 
Uh, so some homes might buy buy two of these, and when uh, when they use up the data on one, they'll uh, the they one. maybe flick across to the other one, something so, like that. So you pay a hundred dollars for the router, and you're not allowed to fiddle around with it. So you'd have to buy another, uh, probably buy another router. Yeah. Uh, but there'd be there'd be some scenarios where that would uh, that would still work for people that are that are you know using over a hundred gigs. So the trick is you go and buy two routers, set them all up, and then go and tell your neighbours that the whole thing sucks and not to do it, and then you get great bandwidth for a good price. Exactly, awesome. yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Now, we had we spoke about this last week, a couple of people from the, um, I guess, the, the world of, um, well... World's most famous uh, tech people coming to uh, coming to New Zealand this week. Uh, so it was Kevin Mitnick uh, yesterday, and uh, he was speaking at Sky uh, Sky City, considered probably the world's most uh, most famous hacker. Absolutely fascinating. It was really cool to uh, to get along to the event and and just to chat to other people that were uh, that were there. The thing that stood out for me, and uh, it seemed to stand out to my Twitter followers as well, because it got p- uh, picked up by a lot of people, was the. Uh, the chat that uh, that Kevin gave around uh, just how easy it can be to uh, to manipulate a uh, a website that hasn't been uh, hasn't been set up particularly um, in a in a ideal sense. So he pulled out a brochure for uh, for a retailer he'd come across in Queen Street, uh, JB Hi-Fi, and uh, he proceeded to demonstrate on the big screen basically manipulating uh, the communications with uh, with JB Hi-Fi. To uh, potentially defraud them. Now he didn't complete the uh, the entire process, so it's not to actually break the law. Uh, but but what he did was he uh, he went through the process of adding a couple of laptops into a uh, online shopping cart uh, with JB Hi-Fi. Came to around three thousand uh, dollars. Then he then he then he made a comment that well he needed something else with a similar amount, and uh, he added I think it was a MacBook uh, into uh, his shopping cart. And then he manipulated the communication between him and uh, and the JB Hi-Fi um, web server, and so he changed the quantity uh, of this MacBook that he added in to minus one. And uh, what that did to his shopping cart was it uh, it, it still listed these two laptops at around um, fifteen hundred dollars each, uh, but then it minused off the. Uh, uh, the the similar amount for the uh, MacBook, leaving a total to pay of uh, it was eighty or ninety uh, eighty or ninety dollars for uh, for two laptops. Amazing, um, eh? yeah. So um, <laughs> it, it was de- it was definitely a you know a bit of a surprise that you know a, a pretty big uh, retailer like JB Hi-Fi yeah would have left such a uh, such a loophole open through their. Uh, their web presence now you don't know what hoops that they they jump through in terms of checking things but if you've got a, a loophole like this that's left open um hey so, you know your staff might catch it nine times out of ten but they might not as well when they're you know printing out the paperwork and putting uh, putting things uh, in the right place to uh, to ship out so it's it's pretty dangerous i would have thought yeah i would have thought so too and and I'm, i bet you it doesn't work as of now right i'm sure they would have fixed it by now it just goes to show the importance of testing Right, software testing, um, and really good security consultation services. I think the um, the world's really woken up to the fact that um, it, it's laughably easy in a lot of cases to to hack some systems out there, um, and the number of people that understand that and can do something to mitigate that is a is a very small number of people at the moment. So they seem to be certainly from our experience at work in in huge demand at the moment, um, and I'm sure that. JB High Five probably picked the phone up and talked to someone today about sorting out their problems as well. Yeah, well, it was interesting because the tweet got uh, got retweeted far and wide. In fact, uh, you know, what one thing he 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 joked was uh, Kevin joked uh, around who he would send the shipment to, and he said, "Oh, I'll put Kim.com in in there." <laughs> and uh, so I mentioned Kim.com in the uh, in the tweet, and Kim.com retweeted it as as did Kevin Mitnick and uh, and a bunch of others uh, later later on in the in the day. So um, it wasn't it wasn't long before uh, some of the Australian uh, tech guys and uh, media type people uh, saw it as well, and uh, somebody came back to me not too much later to say that uh, JB Hi-Fi had taken offline uh, their shopping cart on their Australian <laughs> website. The interesting thing was they didn't seem to cotton on to the fact that this was actually done on the New Zealand website. And uh, last last I looked, uh, and that may have changed during during in the last you know few hours. But uh, last time I looked, 
the New Zealand shopping cart was still fully uh, fully operational and and accessible. So um, <laughs> um, no doubt they will fix that up. Um, you know, probably sooner r- rather than uh, rather probably than later. Right I about hope. now. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, not uh, not ideal. But it, as you say, it it highlights that uh, um, you know. The expertise around this stuff is uh, is reasonably hard to come by, but it is it is important, you know, especially when you're going online, putting your business online to make sure you get yeah. this stuff uh, this stuff looked at pretty pretty carefully. And of yeah. course, everyone is uh, online in some form these days, so uh, yeah, every business needs to be uh, needs to be thinking about it. We've got someone at work who um, is a um, security guru, and she does a demo where she performs a, a person in the middle um, hack with a, a mobile app mobile applications um, and it's quite interesting watching people's pupils dilate as they start to see how insecure some of the communication um, between um, applications and, and you know servers etc can be um, and the interesting thing of course is y- you can do those demos to business people that don't understand the technology and they understand the risk or the threat they just have no idea what to do about it and um, again that's why there's this incredible shortage of good security consulting services people out there at the moment because they're just being snapped up left, right and centre as senior leaders in business, um, you know, even at a board level, now understand that they actually need to understand this stuff and they need to have something in place proactively to do something about this. It's not something you can just go, oh, the, the IT guy's taking care of it, it's all okay, you know, it's more important than that these days, so... Yes, and uh, the the impact of it could be uh, could be pretty big. And you imagine if uh, if J, JB had um, you know this this thing had got out and a whole bunch of people had known about it, and, and who knows, maybe you know maybe this is something that had been known by a bunch of people for a while, and maybe people have been buying a, lo- a lot of stuff. But you know, we hear about the likes of Dick Smith going uh, going bust and margins not being enough and and whatnot, and. Uh, you know who who knows yeah. whether some of these sorts of things were uh, were going on and you know, led led to those things. Well, it's interesting. I, I remember a few years ago um, a company that, that um, went into receivership, and after the receivership process um, was completed, they they did an audit and a whole bunch of other things, um, and actually uncovered endemic theft going on within the business, and it had been going on for a long time, and it was quite sizable. It was one of the things that caused the business to to go belly up eventually. Uh, but it was only forensically going through some of the stuff afterwards that they found it, you know, and it's I guess it's that classic thing of a good thief, right? Just a, a small amount on a regular basis over a long period of time. Why why endanger anything? Just So I'm just laughing at your good thief uh, term. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're <Yeah>. Oxymoron. <laughs> Military intelligence. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Skilled thief. Yeah. Um, now also on the uh, on I guess the front of cyber security uh, today we've heard that uh, the government's um, CERT Computer Emergency Response Team uh, Establishment Advisory Board um, has been uh, has been finalised by uh, Communications Minister Amy Adams. We've got Michael Minsberger. Yes. Well, can you tell us about him? Um, I came across Michael Young back while I was at Microsoft and I can't for the life of me remember what it was to do with but I think he was at ASB for a while at one stage yeah and he's at Wynyard Group now which is obviously yes. a company that's 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 all around uh, you know technology and, and information uh, you know do, doing smart stuff with uh, information he's their chief information security officer uh, there at Wynyard Group who else we got we've got um, Sarah Burke who's head of information security and technology risk for uh, ANZ John uh, Duffy uh, from TradeMe, Head of Trust and Safety there. David Eaton, who's the Chief Technology Officer at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise uh, locally. Paul McKittrick, Debbie Monaghan, Kendra Ross, Rick Shearer and Adrian Van Hest. So they've got a, um, a lineup of you know, heavy hitters with a lot of experience in, uh, in the world of information security that, so who's who? Yes, that I, I hope will uh, I hope will serve them well. I'm so sure will. we will uh, we'll we'll see you know what actually comes out of that that process over the next six to twelve months. I think it's good to see the government reaching out into the private sector to find those people too. That's a good one of those things where government private sector partnership or relationship is absolutely critical. So. Yeah, well, they don't. They don't have all the right skills uh, internally. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you you need uh, some people that aren't going to be uh, too locked into the uh, the political aspects, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. 
Um, now we've got good news um, for those uh, who are in ultra fast broadband areas, um, but unfortunately not all ultra fast broadband areas. So uh, what what's happened is basically the um, the LFCs or the local fibre companies that are serving uh, New Zealand. We've got Enable down there in Christchurch. Uh, we've got Ultrafast Fibre who uh, who look after sort of Hamilton and uh, Bay of Plenty. And then we've got uh, North Power who cover uh, Whangarei. They've uh, basically made a shared uh, announcement that from 1st of October, all of them will be offering gigabit plans. So uh, gigabit um, or 1,000 uh, megabits per second download, 500 megabits per second upload all at, at very reasonable prices. Um, it's been that we've had the gigabit plans available at, um, at quite reasonable, you know, accessible to, uh, to home users at a, at a reasonable price point um, with ultra-fast fibre in the past. This now sort of spreads that to, uh, to the other two. Uh, Chorus haven't made a joint, joint announcement, uh, so we, we don't know uh, when Chorus will come to the party on this. Of course, they've got Gigatown that they're offering in Dunedin, uh, but outside of that, we don't know. And the good news we've heard uh, so far is that this, these plans should be reasonably priced. And the way we know that is that uh, My Republic have come out with an announcement saying anybody that signs up from now on through to 1st of October for a, a 200 UFB plan will be automatically upgraded to, um, to the gigabit or the you know, one gigabit slash half gigabit ultra fast broadband uh, plan. Which is, is quite a nice upgrade, I would have thought. Probably more than enough for uh, for most uh, typical uh, home users. Imagine so this whole thing's completely academic for me because I'm not getting fibre until 2030. Remember, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. And and I'm in Auckland, which uh, of course means I'm relying on uh, on chorus. So we, we don't know quite how soon. I mean, we know you know chorus has obviously been looking into uh, uh, providing gigabit uh, more broadly, and businesses can uh, can access uh, this now, but it costs uh, it costs a, a chunk more. Uh, I think that yeah, there there are some reasonably priced gigabit plans on the market for, for business. We've seen around the five hundred dollar type type price point. Okay. Now for business, for business, yep. which is, is is very very accessible, but uh, this obviously will just bring it down to a to a fraction of that. Certainly for uh, f- for home users, uh, so yeah, if you can jump into those those gigabit connections at you know the same price point as people are paying for um, for a two hundred megabit connection today. Uh, I'd, I'd say deal. a few people would be pretty happy I about that. that. Without yeah. a doubt, it's an, I tell you the people I feel sorry for. Can you imagine being the financial people at these organisations trying to model out the next five years, geez, five weeks of profitability in this business as, as price points change and, you know, data caps change and it must be incredibly complex to figure out, you know, how you're going to make a buck, where you're going to make a buck, when you're going to make a buck. Yeah, it's um, I'm sure not an, an easy business to be in and, you know, for those who are newer or, um, you know, don't have the sort of bigger bigger customer base, uh, tr- you know, trying to trying to figure that out and uh, you know work out when they're going to maybe hit profitability yeah. could be um, uh, a challenging uh, challenging process. Now, I mentioned uh, maybe a week or two back that I've been uh, I've been trying out uh, Big Pipes service just to see how they operate, and of course they're an, uh, a broadband provider that um, that have got no terms. Now, my impression is talking to internet providers at the moment is that certainly Chorus, but I, I imagine it's probably the case with the others. Uh, if people, if you exit from your uh, connection in the less than the, I think the twelve month term, which is I think what they, the contract that they signed with with the likes of Chorus, um, Chorus isn't actually charging them a disconnect fee. Um, okay. So that's why you can have uh, providers like Big Pipe who will say, hey, sign up with us on a on a no term type basis, um, and if you leave, then then that's just fine uh, because they're not actually getting stung with a big sort of disconnect charge or anything okay uh, but what it does mean is in in times of change if you sign up with uh, with one of those sort of providers like big pipe so you're not sort of locked in waiting for a for a long term to end if there's a new plan about to hit the market so for me being on this 200 200 uh, plan with uh, with big pipe let's say chorus announced look we're also going to offer gigabit from uh, First uh, of October or first of November, um, I'm not going to be locked into some you know old old plan uh, that may not give me that sort of speed. So I'd be able to jump quite quickly. Might get to the point where it's like changing power companies. 
Well, it, it, it kind of it kind of should, shouldn't it? Yeah, should, yeah, it should it should, should get very not, yeah, it's very, photons, very simple. Electrons, but it's about the only difference. So yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. But um, it's certainly it's certainly getting easier, I think, now to uh, to to change providers. Again, I'm not getting fibre till 2030, so this is an entirely academic conversation. Well, I'm <laughs> sure you've got it at the at the office. Yeah, no, it seems to be pretty good at the office. <laughs> yeah. Now we've got we've got a little gadget there. Um, Brett and I, we had a little bit of a play with uh, with earlier, and we've chatted about this on the podcast before. HP's X3, um, I've been playing around with this over the over the last three a uh, few days, and uh, the the X3 is a six inch smartphone from HP. It runs uh, runs Windows ten, and the, I guess the big thing about this is you know HP are really uh, seeing it as a as a product that will um, will suit the business user. I think it's um, it's a bit of a departure from uh, from Windows Phone or Windows Mobile in the past that was often uh, targeting the the consumer audience. It's very much a uh, a business machine, and what it is, it's this you know the six inch smartphone, but it docks into either the lap dock, which we've which I've had a little bit of a play with. The the unit we've got is a is a fairly early pre production sample. Um, and basically, that is a laptop that has zero, virtually zero smarts, and it's an entirely controlled by the uh, the intelligence and the technology that's built into the the X3 um, smartphone. And you can also dock it into bigger monitors and uh, separate keyboard and mouse over Bluetooth and the like as well. But it looks looks pretty good. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of benchmarking myself, but I'm told this thing runs about twice as fast as Microsoft's top of the line Windows 10 phone at the moment, which is the Lumia 950 and the 950XL. Um, so there's quite a bit more performance there. So people that maybe bought the Lumia and then found, oh, I was trying to use this to run PowerPoints and you know other things that need a need a bit of uh, need a, need a bit of grunt and found that it couldn't keep up. Well, in theory, this will. Um, it's got a humongous uh, battery life, so you've got a 42, I think it's 4,150 uh, 4, milliamp hour battery, which um, is is pretty good. Um, so it's sort of typical, you know, phone type usage. You should be able to get a couple of days uh, out of that. So, yeah, I think this one's just going to be interesting to see who um, who jumps on board and, and whether this is something that that businesses pick up on. Uh, because it's, it's, you know we've gone into this world of sort of Android and, and iOS for uh, uh, for smartphones, but I mean this is, this is kind of a hybrid type uh, device, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, Microsoft's getting the heck beaten out of it in the in the phone market, but from a user interface, you know, the UX that most people deal with on a daily basis, you know, Windows 10 or Windows or a variant thereof, is still a huge big chunk of that on large glass pieces of glass, right? So this is a really interesting play from them. I think it's actually strategically quite quite smart, and I I remember seeing a demo of this running Windows, geez, 7 maybe, a zillion years ago while I was still at Microsoft. Right. You know? And Seems so it's something they've been, it was going to be, you know, how they um, take it out into some of the, um, you know, poorer countries, for example, you know, they can't, obviously people can't afford laptops, but something like this could work beautifully. And at the time it was, like, oh, that's an interesting concept for that market. But actually in, in this market, you know, I'd consider something like that. It's not... It's not a million miles away from being really useful now. I was just playing around with the keyboard. The keyboard is nearly identical to the one that's in the ThinkPad um, X1 Carbon I've got sitting on my lap. It's actually a really nice keyboard. Um, I'm sure the screen's fine, you know. It's probably one of those things that's just about there now. Mm, mm. Cool. So, um, yeah, so uh, early September, we're told the um, the, the, the X3 uh, smartphones will be available uh, locally in New Zealand for the first half um First, well, week probably week or two of uh, of September that those are uh, those are landing, um, and and being sort of corporate devices, they have things like uh, looks like on site warranty and so on. So from a you know a business yep. perspective, um, you know quite well catered to as a business device, um, something that that uh, you know you, you're able to I guess rely on, you know in theory better a better level of support than uh, than your consumer type uh, type smartphone. Yep. And I guess you really you need to be able to with uh, with something like this. I mean, pretty light in terms of what would actually need to be set up and configured uh, on the device. A lot of it would uh, would probably tie back into an organisation's um, other infrastructure pieces or, or, or cloud infrastructure um, that they'll uh, they'll link in with. But uh, 
Certainly, certainly is uh, is great to see this type of technology coming through because, as, as you mentioned, Brett, you know the the concepts have been around for some time, yeah. um, but actually it, it coming to it's a uh, real product coming to fruition is uh, is, is kind of cool. So let, let's Excellent. see how it actually uh, runs out there. Now, also on a um, on a New Zealand front, there is now a new uh, website the government have put online called um, convergencediscussion.nz. Um, and this is um, there's quite a bit of info there, and a bunch of a uh, bunch of PDFs to uh, or documents to read in a, in a few uh, forms. And you know, if you're if you're kind of interested in this area of um, they're calling it digital digital convergence, um, and how we're sort of being impacted by the online world crossing into. Uh, Areas such as as broadcasting and media, then um, this is this is quite quite a an interesting sort of you know collation of the sorts of things that that the government are trying to get their head around in terms of the future uh, for New Zealand and how we'll we'll operate. Now it crosses into things such as uh, Netflix, where you know we've had that uh, the, the the tax now being applied to uh, to the likes of Netflix that are coming in and providing services offshore into uh, into New Zealand as an online service, and uh, you know Apple with some of their uh, services. But there's a whole lot of areas that this will uh, this will cross cross into, and yeah, I guess it's that you know that movement from traditional industries uh, such as the broadcasting world and the communications world into this world of of you know converged and uh, um, you know internet based uh, communications and information. So. One of those uh, discussions that I that I heard mentioned uh, over the weekend was around, for instance, uh, you know, TV uh, versus uh, Netflix, and in terms of you know when you switch on your TV, uh, depending on what time of day it is, there's certain sort of right guidelines and rules in terms of what can be broadcast, um, and then you know content has to uh, you know tick tick a few boxes in terms of. Uh, um, and in terms of what is communicated about it in the broadcast, you know, is there nudity? Is you know, what's the language like, and so on? Uh, when it crosses certain lines, then uh, viewers have to be alerted of that. Uh, you know, particularly earlier on in the day. Uh, but of course, we move into a digital world. We've got people outside of the country that are pushing their content into New Zealand, and so that's one of the discussions. Is you know, should some some uh, lines be drawn around what the the likes of Netflix are able to. Uh, uh, to push into our homes in terms of content, and of course, it's not, it's not quite push. We we pull and we we choose, but uh, should should there be um, some extra layers there? Yeah, I think this is really interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. One is it's it's great to see the government thinking about this stuff, you know, and and not kind of waiting for things to happen or have to legislate retrospectively and in haste because that never ever works out well. Um, and also the recognition that um, the technology world is moving quickly, therefore the government needs to speed things up. I think that's that's a great signal from from the government. I mean, we've seen so many examples over the years of where the technology races ahead and the legislation players, you know, way, way too far behind, catch up, and all these interesting gaps and issues and things pop up. Um, you talked before about um, GST being applied to Netflix. I mean, that's always that's one area government can move quickly, and when they're missing out on tax revenue, they seem to be able to move at the speed <laughs> of light. They can fix that problem. Yes. Um, but it is good to see that they're bringing that speed of movement to other other parts of this as well. So I think all in all, this is a good thing. And I um, it was interesting. I was um, listening to a, a news item a few weeks back where they were talking about the fact that. Um, Advertisers are now uh, signing up to a new code of conduct around social media-related advertising. Um, for example, when it comes to celebrity endorsements of something, if someone sends out a tweet and says that they really love the, this sort of hairspray, that they will be required to make it clear that they have been paid to say that they like that brand of hairspray, which in the past hasn't been hasn't been the case. So again, I think there are a number of industries having to rethink, you know, how they conduct themselves, what they do, how they do it. Um, as as you know, technology opens up new opportunities, pushes the boundaries. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, this area is going to keep moving pretty fast, and it's good. It's good that they've got these uh, the discussion sort of in train. I'm you know, obviously curious. Well, how could this impact uh, podcasts, for instance? Right, um, there are some podcasters whose whose content you know they're really they're really taking advantage of the fact that this. 
the, the world of podcasts is something that isn't controlled by government at this stage, and there's some, there's some real benefits to that. Uh, but I guess there's also the potential for, uh, for content that could cause harm as well. So, yeah, how the government sort of views these things and what they decide to do I think will be interesting. But, uh, you know, hopefully people get, start getting involved in those discussions so we can hammer out something that's actually going to suit uh, the general populace and, and be fair and appropriate. In reality, of course, you and I know that they can't completely control this, but you know they over time will will no no doubt want to have some influence over over what we access yeah. and 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 how we access it to a degree. And uh, yeah, I just I hope it gets kept in an appropriate sort of balance. You can't stuff the genie back into the bottle, but you can ask it to behave nicely. I think that's probably the approach they're looking to take. And again, I think it is good that they're reaching out and that they're on the front foot with this and thinking about it. You know that does send a good signal yeah well i mean you could question whether they're on the front foot it's i mean it's pretty hard to be it's pretty hard less, to be at the less at of the, a back foot it's pretty hard to be at the forefront of this stuff isn't it to be to be ahead <laughs> of it until until it happens yeah. um but you know i guess as we, as we keep moving in the same direction they get more and more uh, foresight and, and experience on uh, on where to direct things. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it lands. Um, now, something else. Uh, Uber have made an announcement that uh, in the next few weeks they're going to uh, they're going to have an autonomous car service up and running uh, in Pittsburgh uh, in the US. So this, I think, is something that uh, I'm not sure anyone or too many people would have been expecting that just just to happen. Uh, so quickly, we had uh, we you know in the last few days we had an announcement from Ford saying, look, 2021 they will uh, they will be offering uh, vehicles that are uh, that are specifically made for driverless use for Uber uh, type scenarios. They were referring to uh, ride sharing type uh, situations. Uh, these would be vehicles without a steering wheel, without foot pedals, and so on. Just you know purely for uh, for, for carrying people around. Uh, but you know, Uber have jumped right in and said, "Well, actually, we're already there with the technology. Uh, we're going to be offering it now." There is one. Uh, I would call it a downside, a, a bit of a, a bit of a chink in the armor, and uh, you know, it, it just I guess it highlights where they're at. Uh, and this is sort of a similar place to where Google are at with their driverless vehicles at the moment. Is there actually will be somebody sitting in the driver's seat? Yeah. Uh, they 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 just won't be. Uh, they won't actually be be driving. Um, but uh, it's a it's a, a certainly a leap a leap forward uh, into this whole whole world of uh, driverless vehicles that'll be able to uh, ferry us around the place in the future. Yeah, hell yeah! I mean, this this is racing ahead at speed, and it's um, you know dr- driven by the um, exponential improvement in the technology. The stuff's getting better, and the you know it's getting dramatically cheaper at the same time. Um, Uber's end game has always been to be the gateway through which you'll access autonomous vehicles and the world's coming where, or the day's coming where people won't own cars, it'll just be a, in fact when you think about the economics of owning a car are absolutely crazy right, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to buy something that actually sits with its engine turned off 96% of the time, that's a pretty dumb investment, we've all got one, you know, um, so cars as a service makes a hell of a lot of sense, I, I would like to think that um, town planners, you know, transport planners now are already starting to think about what transport volumes might look like when when everyone doesn't own their own car. Um, Certainly going to make a big difference to parking scenarios, isn't it? Well, I think we'll be we'll be building apartments on roads at some stage in the next twenty thirty years. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, we'll laugh about all the highways we used to build, and you know, um, you still be able to buy a car and drive your own car if you want to, because you can still. Buy a horse and ride your own horse if you want to, but I think the majority. You don't people, see too many too many uh, people, uh, you know, wandering down the main, main streets of uh, you know our, our our larger cities in New Zealand on horses. Come to Tauranga, man, we still got them down there. It's okay, great. Okay, uh, but the, this whole thing is really really interesting, and I think um, the the economic impact of you know um, taxi driver incomes being hammered. Then of course it's truck drivers. Autonomous trucks are on the road in the United States already, um, with someone in the cab, but but not driving. Uh, the impact of that's obviously pretty huge, uh, and I'm just—I've got this mental picture you're talking about, um, uh, you know, the Google cars having no pedals and no steering wheels. I've just got this mental picture of people. You know, I guess the first question is, when they've got the other person in the car, what is it they actually do in an emergency if they can't grab the steering wheel or hit the brake pedal? I'm not sure. They probably text someone at Google. You know, we're in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> please turn Help. car off. 
I think the Google ones that are on the road still generally do. Oh no, they they've shown off some samples that are that have that are without a steering wheel and so on, aren't they? I'm, I'm um, but just, I think the ones that are driving around at the moment are, uh, have got, still got the controls. I, I just picture you can go into JB Hi-Fi or go yeah. online and order for no cost uh, using Kevin Mitnick's hack. Um, a Bluetooth steering wheel and foot pedal combination that you can bring and put in the car and connect it up just if you want that that feeling of security. Nice, yeah. nice, yeah. Well, you can get them for kids, don't, can't you, yeah, that no, go on the back yeah, seat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At, um, what's what's the kid toy warehouse place? Exactly. Right. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, that could that could be uh, that could be an interesting approach just uh, just to um, you know wean yourself off the re- the real steering wheel. That's right. Yeah, just uh, at least have something to turn. You know. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I sent a tweet to Simon uh, Simon Bridges once this story uh, came out, and I don't I didn't notice a uh, a reply to it. Although I've had had a bit of Twitter activity over the last few days, so it's possible that I missed it. Uh, but today, what we uh, what we did see was a, an an article online, um, in in um, on stuff uh, where basically we're we're hearing that. Uh, the New Zealand government is uh, is keen on uh, driverless cars, and in fact, um, you know Simon Bridges' comment was, um, you know, he would like uh, New Zealand to be uh, uh, operating as a as a test bed, just in the same way uh, that Pittsburgh have uh, have set themselves up. Um, so yeah, he he would uh, he you know, his comment was he would he would like to see them on the road, um, you know, here in New Zealand by the end of the year. So that seems reasonably positive to me, as long as these things aren't going to be dangerous and uh, running running people over or, or causing uh, well, unnecessary I mean, the, havoc. The but, track uh, record so far is pretty good, right? In, in the overall scheme of things, that humans are awful drivers. You know, we are speak, speak for yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Most humans are awful drivers, and, and computers do a better job of it, right? It's as simple as that. Uh, just, I, just, I, I agree. And computers have eyes in the back of their heads, yeah, which exactly. which we don't. And things they can like all that talk as well, to each right? Other and, yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, it makes a lot of sense. Of course, the ripples go a long way. That what happens to the car insurance industry when there are no accidents, or when, in fact, what I think Volvo and others are doing is the car manufacturers are saying that they will they will assume liability for crashes caused by their autonomous vehicle um, systems. So all of a sudden, the insurance industry changes uh, overnight. You know, the, the ripples from this will be absolutely massive, and and we've just started to see the first of them. Now I think it's great that Simon Bridges is is on board. I think that's a really good thing, um, I, and I could see certain parts of New Zealand would you know there's no reason we shouldn't be at the forefront of this. It's a matter of building different and better roads. And Simon, if you could sort out State Highway Two, my drive down to Tauranga is getting bumpier by the week. That'd be nice, just as an aside. But you know there are def- definitely parts of uh, New Zealand where it'd be great to to pilot these things. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm. Yeah. I'm sure. The thinking on what's going to happen with the with the highways is, must already be uh, been changing because there's so much money that goes into them, right? So. Not, not State Highway Two, but the other ones definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think they put in a bit of a, a bit of investment in uh, in the roads between Auckland and Tauranga <laughs> over the last few years. Yeah. Um, okay, if you say. <laughs> Um, I guess I don't go on them as often as you, so um, you know. So the the, the changes, the changes that uh, that you're waiting for, um, yeah. I, I always seem to notice some something's changed when I go when I take that journey, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously not fast enough, eh? No, not quite. Yeah. yeah. Um, now a, a little bit of an update. Um, Intel and they've had their Intel um, uh, developer uh, forum uh, going on as uh, as tends to happen. Um, at this time of year, there seems to be um, um, a lot of a lot of um, news there, um, and I guess you know one of, one of the one of the headlines was that um, they're looking to uh, double revenue in uh, in five years, uh, which is is a pretty big ask. I I would have thought, but uh, they're making some. Uh, um, some changes in terms of uh, in terms of what they're uh, going to be doing, and so they're uh, they're opening up their uh, their foundries. Uh, you know, traditionally Intel have focused heavily on uh, on producing their own chips, uh, but they're going to be they're going to be doing uh, basically making making uh, chips for uh, uh, I guess you could say the uh, the the competition. So um, um, you know, um, mobile chips, things like that. Um, that they're going to be uh, pushing those sorts of things through their uh, their foundries because uh, 
you know, realistically, that's something that uh, that Intel's pretty good at is uh, right. is, is making chips. So yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so it's, it'll be it'll be curious to see whether they can uh, whether they can get that uh, uh, that level of growth. But they've really got their fingers in uh, you know in, in so many pies in terms of the investments and. Uh, uh, things that they've uh, they've been playing around at um, some of those things haven't come off as well as what they would like and I guess this is their way of um, um, you know spreading things is to say well look we'll, we'll make chips for uh, we'll make chips for for anyone uh, and and anything and that that seems to be their uh, their their approach and I mean certainly when we, when we look uh, seems like uh, uh, computing p- uh, power of some sort is uh, is going into uh, many many more things and uh, will continue to, to do so. I remember seeing Bill Gates years ago at a presentation and he said, um, the f- in the future, not too far in the future, everything that has volts running through it will have an IP address and and processing power. And I remember at the time thinking, oh my god, that'll be so expensive. And you know, he realised now that you know he knew that that stuff would be, you know, a few cents worth of technology being shoved into every light socket and everything else along the way as well so yeah absolutely and here's a statistic for you for what it's worth in 2014 have a guess how many transistors were manufactured every second i would actually have no idea of that eight trillion every second wow when you, so I did this just as an exercise. I found because I, I found that stat and it blew my socks off. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just hard, hard to you know like put I any reference on it, right? It's like how, how do you how do you figure something that? I big? can't even picture a trillion. So the uh, the next thing I did was googled up what a trillion dollars looks like, which is quite fascinating. Yeah. Then you start to get a, a picture of it. So then when you look at eight trillion, multiply it by the number of seconds in a year, and then divide it by the number of transistors that are in your average kind of Intel. Or in fact, I think I used an iPhone um, processor. It's something like five or six or seven devices per human being on the planet. Mm, it's an incredible mm. number. And it, it's just staggering how much computational power um, is, is just being rolled out there into everything that you touch these days. It's built into everything, you know. So um, Intel, you know, I think have come to the conclusion they're really good at making things on silicon. So it would make sense to go hammer and tongs at that mm, mm. Um, and not get too bent out of shape about you know they've already you know they've had the competitive wars and brand wars and other things and carved out their um, you know who's who in the zoo and who owns which bit of the business and now you know obviously they're doubling down and they just want to make more silicon and make money on other people's processes for example yep and um, you know I I guess that you know they've pushed pretty hard on trying to get Intel chips into all our mobile devices, and you know what they've come up with isn't isn't bad. Uh, they've certainly uh, you know got the uh, got the skills, but um, you know people are, are pretty happy with um, you know just from a competitive aspect of uh, you know what's continuing to come out in terms of the uh, ARM type chips that are that yeah. are being being used and right? and everything else. So Look at Microsoft's uh, yeah. making apps for the iPhone. Oh my God! You know it's. We live in a different world, you know. Yeah, it's a smart, yeah. strategic approach. So, um, yeah, IDF, uh, Intel Developer um, Forum, definitely. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that's come out of there, so uh, might be something to, uh, to to look up if you're, you're keen to, uh, to to see to see a little bit uh, a little bit more um, on IDF. Um, on that, um, on well, on on a uh, well, slightly slightly different track is uh, is Google. Um, have announced they're dropping support for uh, for Chrome apps basically on all platforms except for uh, Chrome OS. So, you know, of course, through our Chrome browser, um, if you've had a you know a Chrome installed, which is pretty much the number one uh, browser these days, um, I've I mean I think it's not that uncommon to run a uh, run a Chrome app, but they're saying that there's uh, just not a lot of people that are running uh, running Chrome apps uh, and. Uh, you know, look. If you need to run stuff, you just you know run it through the browser in the in the usual way. So uh, so they're pulling the plug um, for now um, on um, on basically running those apps um, except through uh, through Chrome OS. But uh, you know, if they if they're doing it um, on Windows and, and Mac and and Linux, um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that's something that they'll uh, they'll they'll stop doing in, entirely in in the future. Still a little way off, so if you've got these apps, you don't have to uh, panic. And uh, usually, you're probably not going to be uh, uh, falling too short in terms of feature set just by uh, accessing things directly, um, you know, via the web in a, in a normal manner. Yeah, I don't think there'll be too many people tearing their hair out. I have to admire Google. I mean, one of the things it's you know every second day there's something from Google that says we're going to stop doing this. 
Um, but to do that, you have to have started doing those things, right? So they, they are, as companies that throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks goes, I'm not sure there's a company out there that does it better than Google does, and they're ruthless about it, right? Has, has worked great, hasn't worked great, stop it. You know? mm, mm, mm. No, they, uh, they, they're certainly coming up with lots and lots of um, you know, new things all the time and giving them a go to, to see what works. Um, and uh, you know, in the scheme of it, they've got the, uh, they've got the funds to, uh, to be trying out these new things and uh, you know, this is where great innovation uh, comes from is not those that have an idea in their head and don't do anything with it, but uh, those that actually are willing to uh, uh, put the time and the money into uh, giving it a go and, uh, yep. and seeing whether it flies. So, uh, you know. Invention zero to one and innovation is one to a thousand. That's the, you know, and, and companies like the, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Microsofts of this world that have got um, amazingly smart people in the business, incredible ideas, a, a vision for what might be, deep, deep pockets and huge tenacity. Some incredible stuff comes out of that. Mm. Um, now, oh, something I got sent the other day that I will, um, I'm planning to have a little bit of a uh, play wa- with is uh, Micron have, have sent through one of their uh, one of their new SSDs, which supposedly is a is a super fast one. So I'll be trying that out. But they sent out a little press release. Uh, I think it was today, uh, basically talking about how um, those that have got slower computers drop a bit more RAM in, drop an SSD in, and uh, you know you give the thing a whole a whole new lease of life and. Uh, it have you seems ever done to, that with an SSD. I've, it I've ma- done it. Yeah, it makes it makes a huge difference it's, to uh, performance, and you know I think that the interesting or the the, the challenge for uh, many of us is we've been used to buying. You know, when you buy a new computer, that your performance is a whole lot faster, right? Um, that relied on the, the, the CPUs from uh, Intel or AMD continuing to get faster, uh, relied on the amount of memory we, we got continuing to, uh, to get faster and to, you know, to get bigger amounts and for our storage to get faster. Um, the problem is if we're still using standard uh, hard drives, they're still spinning at the same speeds that they were uh, years ago. And, you know, in fact, um, you know, the 7200 RPM uh, drive that is, is, you know, is still quite common uh, you know, today doesn't perform a million. You know, it's it just hasn't yeah. grown in terms of its performance. I mean, they've done things so. Uh, yes, the the throughput is better than 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 what it was, but it's not uh, hasn't increased at those same rates. So, uh, you know, jumping across to an SSD solid state drive uh, can just make such a big difference to uh, to a computer. And uh, um, the last time I uh, I bought a, just a little home office uh, computer for for um, for home, um, you know I thought oh no I would probably get by we're not doing that much on it um, you know standard hard drive should be fine it'll give me lots and lots of storage um, but no once you load it up with all the latest and greatest cool cool <laughs> stuff uh, hard drives don't actually don't actually perform that well so yeah. uh, it didn't take too long before. Uh, before that was ripped out and uh, an SSD in there, so I'll put this other one in and uh, and see um, how the latest and greatest uh, performs. It's funny, isn't it? When you know when a, a hard disk that's spinning at 120 revolutions a second isn't fast enough. <laughs> um, and I was Paul and I were talking just before we um, started the podcast. I've just been out and bought a whole bunch of PC components to build a couple of gaming. Um, computers and um, have been amazed at how much things cost or don't cost in a lot of cases. Um, a 240 gigabyte solid state drive from PB Technologies, who rock by the way, um, was 85 bucks. I can't believe that. You can buy a solid state drive for 85 bucks. That's crazy. A man. graphics card was six or 700 bucks, but the solid state drive was as cheap as chips and if it breaks, you throw it away. You know, it's um, Whereas I remember the first PCs I built years and years ago if the video card failed, it was like meh, it was 50 bucks to replace. But boy, if the hard drive failed, that was pretty serious stuff price wise. If things have really changed, you know, a motherboard's 150 bucks or 200 bucks. Quite incredible, just the, you know, as volumes go up and prices kind of come down. So, but as you say, if, there's, if you're listening to this um, and you've got a slow PC and you can't afford to buy a new one, the one thing you could do that makes all the difference in the world is that solid state drive. It's just. Amazing, and of course you can re- retrofit them to a lot of laptops as well. You can do. Sometimes you have uh, issues. Sometimes um, sold, the chips are soldered in. But yeah, yeah um, I got uh, a scenario mentioned to me the other day of a, uh, a, a laptop uh, it was in use. The hard drive had been upgraded to uh, 
an SSD, and since that there seemed to be some power issues with it, and it wasn't uh, okay. wasn't shutting down properly, and so yep. on. So uh, you know these things aren't aren't always perfect. So um, you know, in, in an ideal world, you've got something that's all going to work well Your together, but it, but vary. it does but it doesn't always happen. So uh, you've <laughs> yep. got to sometimes you've got to get the right bits and pieces, and uh, you know give them a bit of testing and so on. But in a, in a lot of cases, it, it works very well, and as you say, you get some uh, rather nice performance improvements. Yep. So just to be clear, no warranty is expressed or implied, and if you break your computer. <laughs> it's Paul's fault. Uh, we'll give you your email address out afterwards for any tech, <laughs> tech support there, uh, Brett. Since yeah, no uh, now we know you're uh, you're a you're a Turn up and coming and guru up. on uh, on on building uh, gaming I machines. I'm so impressed. That is very cool. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have guessed that's what you would have been doing with your weekend, but uh, that is fantastic. We'll see how it goes. I might be calling you for tech support. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, I think that's it for uh, for our our um, our discussions this week. So, cool. thank you very much, Brett. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been good. Good being back. Now, where do people track you down uh, online? You're a bit of a regular on on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so I'm Brett Roberts on Twitter, which was quite handy because that's my name. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn if people want to kind of connect up with me there. Excellent. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And uh, yeah, people can track me down same same sort of way. Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter. Uh, facebook.com slash uh, slash Paul Spain as well um, and uh, you can feel free to email me paul at spain.nz um, now look one humble apology actually we'd had our um, giveaway um, for the uh, the Steve Wozniak uh, event which um, as we record this it's uh, it's Tuesday evening and that event is about to uh, is about to kick off um, I think I gave out a wrong uh, email address so um, not uh, not many managed to actually get an entry through, so thank you, <laughs> thank you for those who uh, who listened into the other uh, email um, ad, ad addresses um, that were were mentioned, and we did have a winner. And I'm just trying to uh, trying to find the so, name. So I, here. I, I see how this works, right? So first of all. The wrong email address gets given out, which lowers the chance of you having to give the ticket out. Yeah. And now you can't find the winning. So the the, the the winner who was very pleased actually when I emailed through was uh, Kerry Sainsbury. So um, um, yeah, Kerry, enjoy uh, enjoy Steve Steve Wozniak and uh, and uh, yeah, thanks to the organisers of that event for uh, throwing some uh, some tickets in in our direction. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah, very good. Excellent. All right, well, that's us for uh, for this week. Uh, you can find more podcasts at uh, podcasts.nz, uh, including the New Zealand uh, Business Podcast. We've got uh, Food, Family and Friends, uh, new episode of the New Zealand Motoring uh, Podcast should be, uh, should be out um, in the next day or so, um, and uh, New Zealand Entertainment Podcast, and there's a few other, um, few other ones on, on their way soon too. So um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Catch you soon. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.